record is, it is fourth and 26. McNabb is back. He's looking. He is firing, and it is caught by Freddie Mitchell. Short of the first, I don't know, did he get it? Does he have a first down? He does. He does have a first down. He's across midfield, and he's into Packer territory at the 46. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Daniel. And we are Civil Youth, and you are listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. These are just emotions, coming through the motions, to make it seem like I'm the only one. This is my moment to break free, to a left to tour and throw the key from whatever is holding me. All right, Eagles fans, after a tough week three loss to the Detroit Lions, yes, you heard that right, the Detroit Lions, we've got a quick turnaround Thursday night football at Lambeau Field against the 3-0 Green Bay Packers. Welcome back to episode four of the regular season here in 2019 of Eagles Enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett, and I am thrilled to be joined by the one and only Ross Uglum from Packer Report. What's going on, man? I'm good. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, obviously, I have a unique uh, perspective on uh, at least your quarterback. And, um, you know, kind of, I would say, from a rooting interest perspective, uh, higher on the Eagles than, than most. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because Ross also uh, uh, publishes Bison Report, the uh, North Dakota State university uh website for cbsi so he's a carson wentz fan we don't have a wentz hater on the pod this week we will a little later in the season uh when they take on the vikings but that's down the line but ross oh, you're, gonna, you're not gonna give a reef airtime are you oh a has been on the show he came on last uh, year uh, and it was uh, a lot uh, of fun I'm done. but see the, the one thing all three of us can bond over is that we all probably agree that mitch trubisky is not good yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I feel a little bit bad for Mitch just because I'm a Carolina guy. Um, I hope all all heels do well. Uh, but uh, Mitchell's not, not doing uh, the, the, the baby blue proud in the league. That is for sure. Definitely. But you know who is doing proud for the league? This Green Bay Packers defense is looking phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, you know, you saw kind of a changing of the guard this offseason. Clay Matthews leaves and goes to the Rams. Wasn't really sure about this Packers defense, but there's a lot of young guys stepping up. What has clicked for this Packers defense to be, you know, this force that they've been through three weeks? Uh, I mean, you would have to say the 2019 additions, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, so last year, and I just wrote about this on Packer Report. Uh, very mixed results. I think the Tremont Williams contract was a brilliant move. Uh, they, they desperately needed a guy that was capable at free safety, capable at nickel, capable at corner. Uh, did the Packers have a fantastic season a, a year ago? No, they absolutely did not. But would things have gone a lot worse if Tremont Williams was not able to kind of stick his finger in the dike as, <laughs> you know, as was, was crashing in? Uh, the Jimmy Graham contract, I, I think, is not great. Now, it's a short-term deal that basically now after this season, 
they are not going to have any or any important uh, dead dollars. You know, they're going to be able to just get rid of it like it was a two-year deal instead of a three. Uh, they'll have that extra eleven million bucks or whatever it is to spend uh, next offseason. So, was it a successful experiment? No. Did it cripple the franchise? Absolutely not. As far as the draft goes, I think you'd say Jair was an absolute home run. Now spending a top, and, and this is my guy, so it hurts me deeply, but right now spending a top 50 pick on Josh Jackson does not look like it's going to work out. Don't get me wrong. Every rookie should go through, basically, in my opinion, year three before you actually stamp an evaluation on them and maybe even a couple five, six games into their, their fourth year in the league just until they actually become what they're going to as professional players. But right now, I think you can um, I, I think you can say that Josh is kind of 50-50, whatever. And, and like I'm saying, the entire 2018 offseason was kind of 50-50. Goot would swing, he would get a hit, and then he would swing and he, he maybe missed. Uh, the Muhammad Wilkerson thing, I think, was unfortunate for everybody. But signing Byron Bell and expecting him at, to to contribute and start at right guard was a was a bad idea. <laughs> and so was so was frankly trading uh, Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser. Now there was a pick swap involved in that, and McCarthy and Randall were not going to be able to work together moving forward. They just picked the wrong guy. Is <laughs> what, <laughs> what happened. So that's kind of a long way in saying this. 2019 appears to be a grand slam. I mean, he appears to have, even if Rashawn Gary, who played awesome yesterday, falls flat on his face, which it really does not seem like the young man is going to do, the Billy Turner, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, and Adrian Amos signings have all gone off without a hitch, and Darnell Savage is a stone-cold stud. So even if you're batting 80%, which I'm not willing to give up on Gary, but even if you're batting 80%, what an offseason. And, 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 and now, honestly, too, they grabbed Elton Jenkins in the second round. He looks like an above-average starting NFL guard, which are valuable pieces as well. So uh, that's the main difference in the defense and on the roster is this offseason makeover. Yeah, and, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about Jair and how he completely shut down Emmanuel Sanders uh, this weekend, and he's just been an absolute stud. Like, he is just fun to watch. He's emerging as, you know, a top-five defensive back in this league. You know, he's just playing, I think, a lot more freely than people expected, and it's showing on the field. Absolutely. Um, I, I think part of it is... Potentially the um, the safety play behind him, Kentrell Bryce was a nice story uh, as an undrafted free agent. Was a guy that absolutely drilled people when he got him squared up. I will never forget the hit that he put on Cole Beasley in the 2016 playoffs. I think I think anybody that dislikes the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm guessing I can count you as one of those people. Absolutely. <laughs> remembers uh, the absolute baptism that Kentrell Bryce gave Cole Beasley, mm-hmm. but um, he was a liability in, in all other areas. And and being a missile does not help you now as much as it did in 1998. You know, you half those penalty, you know, half those hits are getting penalized. 
Uh, you need to be able to move, and he was a box safety in every sense of the word. He, he couldn't move, struggled to cover, and then you have the kind of the 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 enigma, uh, the the guy that seems to separate analytics people, film people, uh, the, the the casual fan. You will find folks that think that Haha Clinton Dix is a top ten safety in this league, and you will find folks that think Haha Clinton Dix should be delivering packages for UPS. You, you, you can find both of those people uh, on the internet, and and HaHa did struggle. And I think having the incredibly just assignment, like the guy is never in the wrong position, uh, Adrian Amos, and then the playmaker that Darnell Savage is. And Darnell, Darnell gets in trouble a little bit more often than Adrian does, but those two guys have really, I think, unlocked life for the corners. Uh, Kevin King had a really rough day yesterday but was extremely solid against Minnesota and their incredible uh, wide receiver duo a week ago. Uh, but he and especially Jair, and, and that is something that, you, like you said, we talked about before we went on the air, especially Jair has been put in a position now where he feels like he can just run around the field and make plays. And, and like you saw yesterday with the, the strip of Noah Fant, it's not even just plays and coverage. The kid is just here to screw up your offense. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of like taking the 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 charge for this defense and really uh, you know, making a name for himself and putting this Packers defense on the map as, you know, one of the top defenses in the league and it's really helped I think on the other side of the ball. We saw yesterday too as the Packers uh, took down the the Denver Broncos. Aaron Rodgers said after the game he thinks he got hit once and you know, he said his body has never felt that great after a game. And, you know, seeing the offensive line for the Packers play that well has got to be good for Packers fans and, you know, look good for Matt LaFleur uh, protecting Aaron Rodgers at this stage of his career. Yeah, it's interesting. So there, there's one way of looking at that, and then there's a, a little bit of a deeper way. And honestly, I, I had a chance to whip through the condensed version that they put up on Game Pass, and then I really on the second viewing scoured through the full broadcast where you could see some of the replays. Now, is it easier to glean things from the all 22? Sure. But that's not coming out until probably Tuesday. So we, uh, we deal with what, you know, we, we make, <laughs> make, uh, assumptions based on what we have the ability to see And the right side of the offensive line actually struggled quite a bit. Brian Bulaga, who looked like one of the best tackles in football through two weeks struggled with Von Miller. Now everybody's going to struggle with Von Miller just because you didn't see a ton of sacks or hits does not mean that the offense wasn't thrown out of rhythm because I think I counted a one stretch where there were three consecutive throwaways. I bet you there were six or seven throwaways. I, I would I would venture to guess that Rodgers had four, maybe five total incompletions that were not purposeful, you know, actual misses. So Denver's front was causing havoc, but the left side of the offensive line played so well and Rodgers was so smart in the way that he moved his feet that no, he did not take a ton of contact. But that does not mean that there were not issues uh, with the protection and with the flow and the rhythm of the offense. Does Aaron Rodgers seem happier with Matt LaFleur, you know, running the show at the head coaching spot uh, than he had, you know, in the final years of Mike McCarthy? You know, I, I don't know if happier is the right word, but uh, he does seem bought in. Uh, there are a lot of people like, I don't know, 
Mike Florio or guys that because because Rodgers can run people the wrong way. There's no question about mm-hmm. it. Uh, fans that are people that aren't fans of the Packers find it really easy to dislike him. And there's the whole thing with you know does he get along with his family and and all, all a whole bunch of things that don't really matter once you get between the lines. But the, the bottom line is the guy is going to have emotional conversations with the head coach. They're going to disagree. They're going to be animated. And because of his relationship with McCarthy, anytime he gets a cross look on his face with LaFleur, it's shown and it's shown in slow motion and everybody dissects it. And it's like, guys, if you're two years younger than your head coach and you've been the quarterback somewhere for over a decade, you're going to have input, and Aaron Rodgers should have input. Let's let's be realistic about this. Aaron Rodgers absolutely should have input, but I would guess that he believes in Matt Lafleur a little bit more. Uh, I think we'd all be naive to uh, understand that or accept that Rodgers was not at all involved in the hiring process or didn't give input or. Not that he necessarily rubber-stamped Matt LaFleur, but I can't possibly imagine that the Packers went to Matt LaFleur with a contract offer and Aaron Rodgers was like, oh, no, I think this guy's an idiot. There's no way that that happened. So I think that there is uh, an understanding. I believe very strongly that by the end, Rodgers understood this was not going to work with uh, with McCarthy. And, and there was just no way that this was going to be a long-term solution. And he understood that the Packers needed to move forward with a different voice, and Matt LaFleur is that voice. The team's 3-0. and I can tell you one thing. He's excited about this defense. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, playing for that team and seeing how they're performing, I don't see how you couldn't be excited about them. Um, and, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, you know, getting, you know, later on in his career now, and finally getting what looks like the semblance of a competent running game. Uh, can Matt LaFleur realize that Aaron Jones is a very good running back and just make him the bell cow? Yeah, and I think that's what you saw. In fact, uh, the other thing that you saw was wanting to, and successfully against the Broncos, peel back on that a little bit. He saw, uh, he saw the usage of Aaron Jones against the Vikings and went, whoa, this is not a huge back. We need to scale this back a little bit. And I think used Williams and Jones uh, very effectively. In fact, Jones outsnapped Williams. Now, do I think that's a, a great idea? Uh, no. <laughs> but for the, the type of game that it was in the rain, needing tough yards, holding on to a lead, I did not mind uh, – I, I did not mind the usage of Jamal Williams. It just, when it was so formulaic a season ago, and it's like, okay, this is Jamal series, this is Aaron series, this is Jamal series. It just seemed like it was completely independent of game flow, of strategy, of what we need to do. It was just, okay, Jamal, it's your turn. Aaron, it's your turn. And it made no sense. Yesterday, Reducing Aaron Jones's snaps because it was raining outside and they were protecting a lead and they wanted to go with the power back, that actually makes strategic sense. For sure. And, I mean, you know, seeing that they have a guy like Aaron Jones in the backfield is opening up opportunities for, you know, an elite-level wide receiver like Devontae Adams. And I know you put a tweet out about uh, 
Mr. MVS as well, and he's kind of developing into what the Packers are seeing as that number two wide receiver. Um, how important is MVS to this offense to make it you know fully functional where Devontae Adams isn't just the only receiving option that's you know making things happen? Uh, he, he's incredibly important, and I think a little bit of this, oh, they need to find another weapon, is a, a bit overblown. I can remember watching Super Bowl victories by the New England Patriots where the offense was literally throw it to the backs or Julian Edelman and nobody else mattered. Uh, you can play excellent defense like Green Bay is playing, have one or two primary options on offense, and as long as you're efficient in the way that you use those, you can win and win at the highest level. Uh, they have that primary target in Devontae Adams, of course, and they have some exciting you know, young guys like a uh, MVS. And, and if MVS can continue to develop and get a little bit better, like I said, guys on he's on schedule for 70 catches, 900 yards, and double-digit touchdowns. I think a lot of a lot of teams would kill for that in their second uh, in their second wide receiver when you have to understand that you can use uh, Aaron Jones in the run game in the pass game. Devontae Adams is there. They have the ability to use Danny Vitale in kind of a Kyle Juszczyk type of way. They did that yesterday on a little fullback wheel out of the backfield. They have weapons, and and Geronimo Allison and Jake Kumro are not, you know, chopped liver either. But this idea that the offense is incredibly sluggish and that they, they can't get stuff done, guys, they just scored 27 points against a Vic Fangio defense in the rain, and they missed a makeable, they missed a makeable field goal, which would have made it a 30-point day against Vic Fangio in the rain. The Packers opened up the season against the number one, the number four, and the number five defense in DVOA from a year ago. I, I'm going to do some research later in the week, but I, I have to imagine that's the first time in a really long time that a team has opened the season against three consecutive top five defenses from a year ago. Things are going to get a lot easier for this Packers offense as the season progresses. A, because the opponents aren't going to be as good. And B, the brand new system that they just installed is going to evolve. Yeah, this Packers team is rolling. Um, they look like they're having a lot more fun, too, playing on the field because things especially are... Yeah, especially defensively. Yeah, things are open for them. They're kind of be, you know able to put their own stamp on things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's clicking through three games. You know, they're 3-0 for a reason. And, uh, you know, with the quick turnaround now Thursday night, they... They host my Philadelphia Eagles, um, who are just, you know, battle-tested with injuries right now. Uh, Ronald Darby went out yesterday um, with a hamstring injury. Alshon Jeffrey looks poised to return, which is a good sign for this Eagles wide receiver core, who just continues to have, uh, you know, a case of the dropsies. And, uh, you know, looking at this offense, and I know you know Carson Wentz from, uh, you know, close-up and, and personal almost as well as any Philadelphian, if not better. Um, what do you think Carson Wentz has to do in order to find success against this this Packers defense that's just playing extremely good football right now? Well, the offensive line is going to have to protect. I think that's going to be number one. Uh, the, the Packers are, I would assume, now this is accurate data through two weeks, but I don't have it through three. Obviously, week three isn't even over, but I would say that that, 
uh, performance against Denver did not hurt them any. Green Bay is leading the league in quarterback pressures. I, I'm not sure if they're leading the league in sacks or not, but they are absolutely coming after the quarterback. And Carson is a long-limbed guy uh, who takes a lot of hits, and, and they're going to need to continue to um, protect Wentz in a way to keep him upright and keep him healthy. Because right now, you know, receivers are dropping left and right. I, I happen to have the uh, the injury report that they just released. Now, this is an estimation because neither Green Bay or Philly uh, practiced today. But Arkega Whiteside with a heel would estimate that he would not play on Monday. Uh, and Alshon Jeffrey is projected as a limited participant. And Deshaun Jackson is projected as a non-participant, the same with Arkega Whiteside. That's a that's a lot of of, of really good football. Uh, Arkega Whiteside is still obviously progressing as a player, but Deshaun and Alshon are are pros. They're pros, pros, and and guys that have gotten it done year in year out. Guys that I know Philly was really counting on going into the season. These guys are going to have to get separation, and it's difficult, especially once you get to the second level with Savage and Amos. Uh, it's certainly difficult for whoever the primary receiver ends up being, whether it's Alshon Jeffrey or, uh, you know, I, I don't anticipate Deshaun will play. So, yeah, I mean, if Alshon gets the Jair treatment, somebody else is going to have to step up, and, and they're going to have to step up in a big way. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers gets a, a nice boost because according to uh, Ian Rappaport right here just recently, uh, Ronald Darby will likely miss a few games uh, for this Eagles defense after suffering that hamstring injury. So, no Ronald Darby on Thursday night, and uh, that's got to be a, a huge boost for you know the Packers passing attack. Although Darby hasn't looked great this year, it's just you know less depth for this Eagles secondary now going into a, a short week. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime like ah, oh, well he wasn't that good. <laughs> you say okay, well how did he beat out the guy behind him, and what's the, what's the situation? Uh, behind him I know that I, I really liked Sidney Jones coming out it was you know I thought a, a really bright move to kind of take a red shirt there by Howie uh, and and I don't know how you know you'd be better than I would at kind of analyzing the progression of Sidney and, and what kind of player he's become but these cornerbacks for Philly are often a source of of frustration and uh, of concern. I know that, you know, just from covering the NFC, I mean, I get it. And to lose a guy like Ronald Darby means that somebody else they probably didn't want to have to play is going to have to play. Yeah, I mean, Sidney has had the the injury bug to start his career. He was, you know, riddled with injury last year, and he's starting to kind of find his groove a bit. But I still think, you know, with without that in-game experience he's still a little kind of behind the eight ball and uh you know right now it looks like our our cornerback alignment is going to be uh you know Sidney Jones Russell Douglas who has looked good this year he he played really well against uh Julio Jones and had a really good game yesterday against Detroit and then Avante Maddox in the slot but this team you know in the current state they are they can't afford to lose much more. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at you know a repeat of 2018 for the Eagles rather than 2017. Yeah, and I like Rasul Douglas, or I liked him as a player coming out. I do a lot of draft uh, publication stuff and, and and do a lot of evaluation. So 
as much time as I spend diving into the Packers film, I don't necessarily get to see a ton of, of film of other teams. So a lot of this is secondhand, what other people think. Some of it is what Pro Football Focus thinks. But Rasul is a guy that uh, I, I really thought was going to be a decent corner. Now, beyond Rasul and, and Sydney, like you said, things get a little bit dicey, especially uh, in the nickel if they want to move Devontae Adams inside and try and you know, figure out a way to maximize their matchups when, you know, normally Green Bay would like to play 21 personnel. That's kind of what LaFleur has, has hang, hung his hat on. Uh, they would like to get Vitaly in there. They would like to play with uh, Lewis or Tanyan or Jimmy Graham or whoever and just two wide receivers. But this was a very similar situation to Week two against Minnesota. Minnesota was extremely nicked up at cornerback, and the Packers did, you know, uh, not necessarily audible, but they changed their game plan a little bit, and you saw more three and four receiver stuff than you would have seen when Green Bay just played Denver. Yeah, so this this Eagles defense, uh, although they, they lose Ronald Darby, it looks like they're going to be getting Kamagruje Hill back at the linebacker position uh, after he went down with injury earlier. Uh, you know, this offseason missed a few weeks of uh, the regular season, but he looks poised to come back, uh, which is good for the linebackers. But, um, you know, with with Carson, and it's something that gets talked about a ton here, and I wanted to get your perspective on it, it seems like he, he's holding on to the ball just too long. Was that something he did in college, and is that something you've seen him do uh, since he's been in the NFL? Because it seems like if something – you know, if his his options kind of break down, he's holding on to the ball a little too long, and that's what's resulting in him getting hit a ton and leading to some of these injuries. Yeah, you sound like a Packers fan. <laughs> uh, if I get if I get one more, uh, you know, if I get one more person to tell me that. Um, Aaron Rodgers holds on to the ball too long. I think I'm going to lose my mind. And, <laughs> and it's not all inaccurate. I mean, sometimes, you know what, when the first read's open, you just got to fire the ball in there. And both Carson and Aaron play football in, in similar ways, and that's that uh, neither guy, at least at the NFL level, now North Dakota State, Carson was just a better athlete than everybody else, and they did have a lot of designed run stuff in for him. But you're not going to run designed runs for Aaron Rodgers or Carson Wentz. At least you're not going to do it more than once or twice a game in the National Football League at this level. So the way that they use their feet is really more to manipulate the pocket, to buy time, and to have receivers get open and often get open you know, deep. Uh, second reaction plays. You know, A lot of these coverages are really designed to cover for four, maybe five, maybe six seconds. Once you get past the count of three, four, five, now now it's schoolyard ball, and Rodgers and Wentz are both absolutely lethal uh, in, in schoolyard ball, and so it's a double-edged sword. How many how many highlight plays do you want from Wentz, like the one uh, against Atlanta where his knee is three millimeters right. from the ground? Uh, how many highlight plays do you want on a secondary reaction where he throws a a sixty-three yard bomb to Deshaun Jackson? Are you really going to bitch about that uh, when he, you know, maybe passes up a, 
a seven-yard slant route that's open because he wants to try and work Ertz open across the middle or, or fire one to Goddard. You know, the, you just you have to take the good with the bad, and until Wentz and Rodgers both stop being top five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks in the league, I think it's foolish to complain too much. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, one thing that a lot of Eagles fans are complaining about is that Doug Peterson is not getting the running game established. Um, I thought they did a, a much better job this week against Detroit than they have uh, in the first two weeks. But uh, when it comes to Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, obviously two different types of running backs, Packers, uh, you know, players probably know more about Jordan Howard from his time with the Bears. But um, what are some things you expect this Packers defense to do well against these two running backs with their different run styles and potentially uh, what the Eagles can do to establish that run against this Packers defense? Well, that's something that I think is going to be just incredibly important for Philly. Uh, running the ball has absolutely been the way to beat the beat the, now not beat the Packers; they're undefeated. But to succeed offensively, you saw uh, Dalvin Cook really have a lot of success. Now, I and then the fact is that he really averaged about a little under four yards a carry outside of a seventy-five yard run where Kenny Clark just happened to be taking a, a, a break. And he did. He was Tyler Lancaster was in there at nose tackle when Cook broke off the 75-yarder. But they all count. You know, it's all part of the team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? Denver ran the ball pretty all right yesterday as well. They were right around four yards per carry. It was certainly their uh, most successful form of, of moving the ball down the field. I mean, it, it, Denver – either ran the ball or threw the ball to a back or a tight end on almost every play. You know, the receivers were just taken away uh, flat out. So if you're going to be thin at receiver, I think you have to follow the Broncos offensive game plan. Now that game plan only resulted in 16 points, but you have to hope uh, with it as much as Carson Wentz is better than Joe Flacco, that your, your point total increases because the Packers I think this entire season, their Achilles heel has been stopping the run. Uh, I think that was a major, major criticism of Chicago's strategy in the game they lost 10-3 to was why is Mitchell Trubisky throwing the ball this much in a close game? This makes no sense. Uh, the, the, the Packers should on paper have an elite run defense, but so far they don't. You know, Blake's a very good player. I, I think Kenny's probably the best true nose tackle in football. And Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are a top, top edge-setting group as far as the run goes. But, you know, people have been able to get stuff on on Dean Lowry and get stuff on Montrevious Adams and B.J. Goodson, who they brought over from the Giants to literally only play run defense, has not has not played well yet. Uh, I'm hoping, or, you know, you would hope that um, that's coming because he really uh, has been brought in to be a one-trick pony. Uh, he's just not doing that trick yet. So you, you nailed it there a little bit. The run game is really going to be key for Philly because I would guess that whatever ragtag group of receivers Philly's able to trot out there is not something that's going to match up favorably with the Packers' revamp secondary. Absolutely. And, you know, if we assume that Alshon Jeffrey is suited up that out there, uh, you know, how does that kind of change – the way this Packers secondary attacks, you know, coverage-wise and, uh, 
you know, what they're able to do to kind of shut down Carson Wentz's options because obviously the number one option is going to be Zach Ertz because that's who just Carson Wentz loves throwing to him. Um, but if Alshon Jeffrey is out there, who do we kind of see covering him and who do we see attempting to take away Zach Ertz from this offense? So I, there are two easy answers, and I'm not, but I'm not sure I'm correct in those. And, and so what you saw with uh, Denver and Fant was normally they would have Savage or Amos just take them away uh, or try to take them away. And I would guess that Adrian Amos would be your, your Zach Ertz matchup. Uh, as far as the wide receivers go, I wonder if they wouldn't just play more left and right or field and boundary because Kevin King with his size is such a good matchup for Alshon Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that makes that a little bit interesting. He's a guy that they've used to take away uh, like Allen Robinson with the Bears. Kevin King was an awesome matchup for Allen Robinson, continues to be a smart matchup for Allen Robinson. But the the other obvious option is, okay, if you don't want if, – if the Eagles – if nobody else gets to play, if Garkega Whiteside doesn't get to play, uh, if you know they feel like Deshaun Watson's gonna not going to play and they're not scared of Nelson Aguilar, then I think you just give Jeffrey the Alshon treatment. That's or, the Jair treatment, excuse me. Uh, but what I would guess might happen is, like I said, they just play left or right, boundary, field, whatever, and whoever lines up there, they just run the scheme that way. And the other option would be King follows Jeffrey around the field and Jair completely erases Nelson Aguilar. And you, you do have to throw constantly to Zach Ertz or... You know, I, I, um, who's the kid? Dallas Goddard. Yeah, Dallas Goddard. Uh, tight ends that might have favorable matchups. I mean, if, if there's one big criticism of Blake Martinez, it certainly is his ability to uh, cover. Yeah, and if, if Dallas Goddard is a, you know, 100% go, obviously he was listed as limited today, even though they didn't practice. Um, that's a good sign, hopefully moving forward, so that the Eagles can run you know, that 12 personnel that Doug Peterson likes to throw out there because a lot of people say Dallas Goddard is, you know, just a young Zach Ertz. He's able to go out there and, you know, put his body out there and make big-time catches, except uh, yesterday against Detroit in the end zone. Um, but, I mean, if if both tight ends are out there and Adrian Amos is your guy to take away Zach Ertz, does that open the field up more for Dallas Goddard to potentially get more involved against this Packers defense? We'll see, you know, and 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 there, most of Patton's schemes are going to be, you know, zone. Um, do you find ways to isolate Blake Martinez? That's one way, uh, but there's not a tremendous weak link anywhere in that secondary. You know, Tremont Williams, with his at his age, has been moved into more of a nickel role, so less is is demanded of him athletically, and it's really worked out well. Uh, the same, you know, rate. You're not going to get a ton on Darnell Savage. Tight ends used to just eviscerate uh, Green Bay over and over and over again, and, and we have, have yet to see that. Now, you know, like I said, most of the production from Denver was Fant or Hireman, you know, getting little dump-offs from Flacco, but it, it obviously wasn't enough to beat them. And that's something that we'll have to pay attention to. One of the, the big losses for Green Bay this year was having to IR uh, Raven Green because Oren Burks hasn't come back yet, and that coverage linebacker spot, and Green was obviously a safety convert, but that coverage linebacker spot that they had 
uh, is Adrian Amos right now, and it's forced them to have uh, Will Redmond play free safety with, with Savage, and that might be a place where a, a guy could try and isolate Will Redmond as, as well. Now, I, I'm not ready to say that Will Redmond stinks yet because he didn't do anything wrong on on Sunday, and he has those you know, those cornerback traits and those cornerback skills that often work out well when you move back to safety. Like your guy Malcolm Jenkins uh, is Will Redmond Malcolm Jenkins. I'm, I'm not ready to go there yet. Very true. There's not there's not many people that are Malcolm Jenkins, I'd say. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, Malcolm was a guy that people were initially disappointed in because mm-hmm. he didn't cut a corner. Right, and he found his legs at safety and uh, arguably one of the best Howie Roseman free agent signings we've ever seen. Um, you know, in this game, though, who would you say is your, your X factor from the Packers that, you know, could elevate them to get to 4-0 that is going to, you know, be a guy that we're going to hear the broadcasters calling his name potentially all night long on Thursday. I mean, I think you have to look at, and this is not like anything that um, uh, is going to be a revolution, but I think it's Devontae Adams. Uh, Devontae Adams is a guy that has gotten a ton of pub this offseason. More and more people are, are willing to put this dude into the top five top six top eight receivers in the league conversation and his now his numbers haven't been bad you know we're talking three games 15 catches 198 yards but he hasn't been in the end zone yet and he's been a red zone assassin with Aaron Rodgers over the last couple of years but you have to understand now this is uh, a very very good Bears defense with Kyle Fuller uh, the Vikings with Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes, and then Chris Harris Jr. followed him all day yesterday. I'm not seeing any of those guys in the Eagles uniform, uh, and I think it might finally be the time for Devontae to eat on Thursday. He was he was visibly frustrated that he only got four four targets on Sunday, and Devontae is not your normal diva wide receiver. So for him to be frustrated about that after a win, I thought was notable. Yeah, Devontae Adams scares me in this game, especially uh, even with Ronald Darby out and how you know poor he's played in these first three weeks. Devontae Adams terrifies me. MVS terrifies me. Just being able to take the top off of this Eagles defense that is lacking on the D line. The pass rush has not has been non-existent, and uh, that's something that is is pretty terrifying for this Eagles defense going in on a short week as well. Um, you know, who do you think? from this Eagles team could potentially take the game into their hands and, and hand the Packers their first loss? I think, you know, offensively it would be Ertz. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is Carson, you know, because he's capable of that just virtuoso performance where he puts the entire team on his back and scrapes out a 24-21 to 21 win where Jake Elliott bangs in a 51-yarder as time expires. But I think Ertz does have an opportunity – um, Amos is a very good player, but not necessarily in one-on-one situations. And I'm not even saying that Green, that's the way that Green Bay is, you know, going to defend him. But like I said, the the chase linebacker, the coverage linebacker situation in Green Bay is very questionable right now. Raven Green on IR, Oren Burks not quite not quite back yet, 
and Blake Martinez occasionally struggling to cover in space, uh, that is a guy that could really, I think he could have a big, big night on Thursday. And defensively, I think it's always Fletcher Cox. Uh, Green Bay really struggled with a little bit of pressure on, on Sunday, like I said. QB hits, no. Plays wrecked, yes. And if, if Billy Turner doesn't clean a few things up, I think Fletcher, if, if they did u- utilize him on the left side of the line, so Green Bay's right side, he could give Belaga and Turner some issues. It would be great to see Fletcher Cox back in the box scores. He was held uh, you know, completely out of it against Detroit, but this game is right around the corner and uh, very much looking forward to it. Ross, where can everybody follow you on, on the socials and read all your stuff that you do uh, for Packer Report? Yeah, so that got that got uh, really simplified the last couple weeks here. Certainly, <laughs> uh, I, I now just really work for one company, and that's uh, CBS Interactive and Twenty Four Seven Sports. Um, they've been kind enough to uh, sign me as the publisher of Packer Report. Uh, my my social is just at Ross Uglum on Twitter. Yeah, I, I just took over Packer Report. Um, I've had Bison Report which covers North Dakota State since June. I've been working there uh, since 2015, but just now did it kind of become uh, my baby. And then I pitch in now that uh, North Dakota State's former coach, Chris Kleiman, and Carson's coach, uh, Chris Kleiman, is the guy for Kansas State. I've been pitching in at gopowercat.com as well, but all on 24-7 sports. And you do a great job, man. Really appreciate you hopping on the show this week. And, you know, who knows if the Eagles turn things around, potentially have an Eagles-Packers playoff matchup. We'd love to have you again. And uh, anytime these two teams match up, you will definitely be our guy to go to to talk about all things Packers, man. All right, thank you. Well, Eagles fans, it's a quick turnaround. Thankfully, we can put this Detroit game in the rearview mirror and get ready for a Packers team that looks very, very, very good on paper. Uh, and not just paper, they are 3-0. and And like we said, Devontae Adams terrifies me. Marquez Valdez-Scantling terrifies me. And this Packers defense is very scary. We need Fletcher Cox to step up. Although Tim Jernigan and Malik Jackson are are out right now with injury, Fletcher Cox has to be the guy that puts the team on his back and, you know, really steps up so that they can get back on track. This team is too good to potentially fall to one and three on the season there's it's there's just no excuse so hopefully Alshon Jeffrey plays in this game unfortunately no Ronald Darby for a few weeks but with the way he's been playing that might be a good thing uh it's never good to be down depth but we'll see what happens but as always you can follow us on Twitter at underground PHI for all your Eagles updates and all that good stuff there you can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311 and make sure you subscribe to Underground Sports Philadelphia on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know how you're feeling about this game and what you expect uh, this Eagles team to do against the Green Bay Packers up at Lambeau. And if you don't have an iPhone, you can always follow us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll have a nice little 10-day break after this Thursday night game, and then we'll get ready for a potential return guest as the Eagles get set to take on the New York Jets which should hopefully be another nice bounce-back W for this team at the link. But until then, this has been Episode 4 
of the regular season in 2019 of Eagles Enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm Kyle Bennett. We are signing off. Go Birds!